We're going to look at this 1 John 4 passage that we looked at last week. I want to have Aaron read it for us all the way through because we're going to look at it in segments and you're actually going to hear pieces of it three or four times tonight. That sounds like it's going to be long, but it's actually going to be fairly short tonight. Um, but I want us to see the whole thing all together before we do that. So. Beloved, let us love one another because, God is, because love is from God and all who love are fathered by God and know God. The one who does not love has not known God because God is love. This is how God's love has appeared among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we should live through him. Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. Beloved, if that's how God loves us, we ought to love one another in the same way. Nobody has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is completed in us. That is how we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us a portion of his spirit. And we have seen and bear witness to the Father, bear witness that the Father sent the Son to be the world's Savior. Anyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son, God abides in them and they abide in God. And we have known and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. This is what makes love complete for us, so that we may have boldness and confidence on the day of judgment, because just as he is, so are we within this world. There is no fear in love. Complete love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and anyone who is afraid has not been completed in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother or sister, that person is a liar. Someone who doesn't love a brother or sister whom they have seen, how can they love God whom they have not seen? This is the command we have from him. Anyone who loves God should love their brother or sister too. Thanks, Aaron. So last week, just to put kind of the main ideas of what we looked at last week on the screen, um, I, we're in this series where we talk about kind of the identity of the church, and we spent some time in the fall talking about worship and mission as key components of who we are and what we do as the church. And now we're moving into a section where we're talking about community, something we've been doing in our community groups since the beginning of the fall, but we're going to spend several Sundays on this. And I want all of that to fall under this banner, this statement that community is not just God's idea, it's God's nature. It's intrinsic to who he is. And so to that end, last week we talked about these two basic realities, that God in his very essence is this perfect community of love. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And then kind of the gist of that is that if that's who God is and we've been created in his image, then we individually are meant to bear that image of a perfect community of love and we collectively are meant to bear that image of love, the nature of God, who between Father, Son, and Spirit are living in a community of sacrificial love, of perfect love. And uh, because we've been created in his image and lovingly created in his image, because he's love, so when he creates, he creates in love. We're lovingly created in the image of God, which means his love, becomes our essence. It becomes the stuff that makes us who we are, that flows through our life, like it flows through the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So um, 
that was meant to give us uh, a clearer view of God and a deeper sense of what it means when we say and when the scriptures say that God is love. Today, what I want to do is move from that clearer view, that sense of who God is and the way that love and community exist within his nature, to move from that and give us kind of a wider landscape. We're going to, in subsequent weeks, we're going to talk a lot about the hows of community, about kind of what the ethic of communal life looks like and how we live that together and what does sacrificial love look like between us. We're going to get into a lot of that in the weeks to come, but I want to create before that this wider landscape of the theology of community. Now, this week is not going to be as sort of, when you get into the Trinity, it's kind of high concept theology. This week is not going to be like that. But I want us to move from this big picture of bearing the image of God, uh, a God who is love, to seeing this wide terrain of how that plays itself out in us and through us in God's story and in God's world. So the first piece is this, is this theological view of who God is. And then tonight, the second piece of the theology of community is starting to look at what does that mean for us? If that's who he is, how does that visit us? How does that impact our lives and our world individually and together? So I want to do that with uh, there are going to be five statements. One of the first one we looked at last week, and the four uh, will be new tonight. So the first one is community is God's nature. That's essentially what we talked about last week. And tonight, what I want us to see in this First John 4 passage are these four truths. Community confirms our salvation. And I'll explain these a, a little bit more as we go through them. Community is Christian faithfulness. Community is the essence of the church. And then the last one is community builds for God's eternal kingdom. None of this, I just want to say as a big disclaimer over these statements, none of this is about us doing community well enough to earn salvation, to, 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 to earn something from God. It is about the ways in which community becomes our essence, the essence of God's people, just as it's the essence of this three-in-one God. So, the, so, so here's what I want to say, uh, essentially, tonight, and we're going to say it in these four new ways, but what I want to say is this. You were created for community. You were created to live in a loving community with God's people, and this is indisputable in the scriptures, that you were made, you were not made to live on an island. You were not made, no matter how much you love and enjoy Jesus in a personal sense, you were not made for your faith to stay in that silo. You were made to experience real, deep, loving, biblical community, even knowing that it's going to be imperfect as it's expressed through imperfect people. Okay? And that's true for all of us. I do not care what your personality is like. It doesn't change how much you were made for community. And I know this for sure because I am the personality who, who would be exhibit A in, I was made to live unto myself, by myself, away from people. I am, uh, if you look at the Myers-Briggs <clears throat> scale, I'm INTJ. If you look at the Enneagram, I am a five. If you, if you are an Enneagram nerd, I, they wrote the five about me. This is a kind of introversion uh, that borders on diagnosable in some ways. That's who I am. Um, I'm the guy who sometimes makes a decision not to comment on something on social media that I really care about 
only because I know that when I comment about it on social media, in the sort of safe confines and the privacy of my desk, it means that one of you is going to talk to me about it. Really. I'm going to have to have a conversation about what I comment I make. Uh, I'm the guy who shaved three pounds of beard off my face last night and cringed thinking, how many people are gonna, am I going to have to have a conversation about the fact that I shaved my beard off with today? And some of you are sitting here thinking, oh, I'm the one. You're not the only one. And it's not your fault. What you're doing is perfectly normal human interaction. We're talking about my problem, not your problem, right? I am a person uh, who thrives on being alone in many ways. If you see me alone at the movies, please do not feel sorry for me. Think, oh, there's dad plugging into the wall to get recharged. This is just who I am and how I'm made. Um, and I'm made for community. I'm not great at it a lot of the time. I'm maybe worse at it at times with the people who are closest to me. I struggle the most in some ways with it. Within my family of origin, that's probably the place where I struggle the very most with it is uh, when I'm back in my parents' home. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but when you get back in that space, it doesn't matter how much you've matured or how much of an adult you become. There are ways in which your 15-year-old self just keeps trying to elbow into your, the way that you dialogue with your mother, right? Or your father or whatever it is, your siblings for you. Um, and, and in my own home, I struggle uh, with living the kind of community that we were made for. And in this church and in general, it's not always easy. But I believe I'm convinced by the scriptures and by the experience of my life that I was made for it and that you were made for it. And so I want to, us to see by looking at these essential, because these things that are on the screen are essential theological parts of our faith. You can't have Jesus following without these things. And I want us to see the ways in which community is tied tightly in the scriptures to all of these things. I want us to see specifically tonight these things through the lens of 1 John 4, this passage that we looked at last week and that we just heard. Uh, and then if we have time, I'm, I'm going to close by having one other passage read over us where we'll see more of the richness of these truths emerge, I think, in an actual prayer that Jesus prayed. Okay, so here's how this is going to go. We're going to go one, two, three, four through each of these things, and we're going to look at the ways in which this First John 4 passage reveals them. That means there are at least one or two verses in this passage you're going to hear four times, and that's okay. Because one of the beauties of this passage is just when you think this verse, oh, it says the first thing on the list, you're going to discover that it actually says maybe all four of these things in a certain way. And so uh, we won't stop and dwell a long time on each one, but uh, I've tried to kind of underline the verses as we go through so you can see the ways in which by looking at, at these ideas through the lens of 1 John 4, we find kind of the theological place of community. The first one that we'll look at is this idea that community confirms our salvation. I'm not going to get into the depths of what all I mean by the word salvation, but, but generally I mean our new life in God, that we have been remade, that we have experienced some kind of new life in God. Living in biblical community confirms that that's true. John writes this, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God, and all who love are fathered by God and know God. And then 
he says the flip side of that, the one who does not love has not known God. John says that our, our sonship, our daughtership, our being a child of God, of, of belonging to God, being redeemed by God, is tied to the way that we love. And he says it emphatically by saying the negative. Those who don't love don't know God. There is an evidence of our belonging, of our redemption, in the way that we love in the world in which we live. And then he moves and he articulates the heart of the gospel and of our salvation. He says, this is how God's love has appeared among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we should live through him. Love consists in this. He defines for us this word love, which comes up over and over in this passage. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. Beloved, if that's how God loved us, we ought to love one another in the same way. Then he says, nobody has ever seen God. He, he turns immediately from this articulation of the gospel, which is God loving us enough to send Jesus in his place to the kind of life that confirms the gospel living within us. He says, nobody has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is completed in us. That's how we know we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us a portion of his spirit, our identity in Christ. This is, John says, even how we know that we're his, that his spirit has come to live in us, because the kind of love that exists in the Trinity comes to us through Jesus, mediated through Jesus, from the Father, alive in us by the Spirit. This is confirmation that this has happened. And then John circles back out of this assurance through our participation in what a lot of theologians call the beloved community, the community of people who are gods and who love each other with the love that God has given us. He circles back out of this assurance that we get through our participation in that kind of community right back into the heart of the gospel. And he writes, and we have seen and bear witness that the father sent the son to be the world's savior. Here's the gospel again. Anyone who confesses that Jesus is God's son, God abides in them and they abide in God. And we have known and have believed the love which God has for us. And then he continues and says this, God is love those who abide in love abide in God. Those whose lives are marked by abiding in God's love and abiding is not just receiving, it is living the essence of God's love. Those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. This is what makes love complete for us so that, and there's a cause here, we may have boldness and confidence on the day of judgment. Because just as he is, so are we within the world. John appeals even to the end of all things. When we stand before God in, in judgment, is, we'll get into all the mechanics of that right now. But when we stand on that day, one of at least the ways that we will know, we will have boldness and confidence is that Jesus, the only way we can have boldness and confidence when we stand before the Father, Jesus has come to live in us. And we know that because the essence of who Jesus is has taken root in our lives. 
and we have abided in love. And that has, the, the love of God has become complete, not just that we've received it, but that it has changed us and that we have lived as he is, so are we. We've lived the life that, he, that reflects his nature in the world, all right? So that's, that's the first stop here is community confirms our salvation. It offers evidence that we have been changed, that we've been converted, that we have a new life in God. Next point is this, community is Christian faithfulness, which is meant to say it is not just an optional, community is not just an optional part. I think for, for a very long time, especially in our particular culture, Christianity has been treated as primarily an individual transaction that takes place that saves you from hell, that gets you from heaven, and then you get a menu of sort of Christian-type things that you can choose from, and somewhere on that menu, and the menu, depending on what version of the faith you grow up in, might have some things big and in bold, like featured items, like these are meals that you're supposed to eat. Um, it might have some things that say healthy choices, like if you want to be a good Christian, you should probably choose a few things from this menu occasionally, right? And then some dessert. We've been given this menu and, and told these things are optional parts of the faith if you want them. And community, real biblical community with other believers has been treated as a menu item. And what I want to say, what I think John wants to say is that community is Christian faithfulness. It is not an optional part of Christian faithfulness. Let's look at what he writes to this end. Back to verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another. He gives an instruction. Hey, church, love each other. Why? He tells us why. Because love is from God and all who love are fathered by God and know God. We love one another because that's who God is and because if we know him, if we're really his children, if he has fathered us, if he is our father, this is what we do. This is why we love. Not because, well, we're really thankful that he saved us from hell and he seems to like his people getting along, so I'll choose that. No, all who know him, all who have been fathered by him, this love takes root in their life, John says. Because love is from God. This is how we're faithful to a loving God, as we love one another. And all who are fathered by him and know him. The one who does not love, again, he gives us the negative, has not known God because God is love. Then he gives us an if-then statement about the gospel. So we have this, again, these words about the gospel. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. Beloved, if that's how God loved us, there's an if then here, if that's how God loved us, we ought to love one another in the same way. This is an expression of faithfulness to the gospel we've received. Nobody has ever seen God. He speaks to the fact that faith, our faith in Jesus and God uh, faith is the essence of faithfulness. Though we haven't seen him, yet we are faithful because of what he has done. Nobody has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is completed in us. There's something in our faithfulness that, that affirms our faith. Though we can't see him, this is what we can see. His love real, alive among his people. This is an expression of faithfulness to the gospel. 
John says his love is completed in us. The fullness of God's love arrives amid our faithfulness. There is something that, some sort of completion that happens when we are faithful in this way. And he echoes this same idea further down. If you look in verse 16, he says, God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. This is faithfulness. And then in 17, he says, this is what makes love complete for us so that we may have boldness and confidence on the day of judgment because just as he is, so are we within this world. We, have, we don't have boldness rooted in loving one another unless that loving one another was an expression of our faithfulness. John says here, living in this way is an expression of fidelity to who you've discovered God to be and what he's done in your life. <clears throat> For emphasis of this point, he reminds us that God's love moves us to faithfulness to, our, to his nature. This is not, again, just a matter of us gutting it up enough to earn something from God, but that it's actually his love changing us that moves us into a faithful living, uh, that moves us to faithfulness to his nature, and his nature is love. This shows up in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. And then he gives us, again, this sort of contrast. If someone says, I love God, but hates their brother or sister, that person's a liar. Someone who doesn't love a brother or sister whom they have seen, how can they love God whom they haven't seen? We love because he loved us. This is not a love that we can drum up on our own. It comes from, it is birthed in us by him. And then John reminds us that while that faithfulness is only possible because of God's love for us, we still choose faithfulness. It's birthed in us. We can't create it in ourselves. But there's not just something magical that happens that uh, I no longer have a choice in the way that I live because God has changed me. We still choose faithfulness. He says in verse 21, this is the command we have from him. Anyone who loves God should love their brother or sister too. Obedience is still an essential part of faithfulness. Yes, God's love birthed in us. God's love is birthed in us supernaturally, but our flesh, as we all know, still works against the life birthed in our spirits. We still have plenty of reasons to not choose, to choose not to love in that way, to choose not to live a life of love among God's people. And so obedience is still necessary for, faith, for our faithfulness. We receive a command from God Anyone who loves God should love their brother or sister. It's a choice we still have. We're still being completed. And this is a call to live into the identity that will be perfected in us, not only through our obedience, but through uh, the coming of Christ. But we live in faithfulness and obedience until then. Okay? So that's the third point. Community is Christian faithfulness. And the, the next one is this. Community is the essence of the church. Go back to verse 7. It says, Let us love one another because love is from God, and all who love are fathered by God and know God. What I want you to see here, and then in this next section that we'll read, is that those of us who are changed by the gospel, there's a movement that happens here. 
There is not just individual language here. Those who have been changed by the, the gospel become we. It becomes a plural first person. A, those who the gospel has taken root in and changed become a we. They become an us. They become a one another. They become all who love in John's language. So watch how that plays out in these next few verses. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. Beloved, if that's how God loved us, we ought to love one another in the same way. Nobody has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is completed in us. Not only is there a we created as we're changed by the gospel of this unseen God, as we're called to faith and to faithfulness in him, not only is there a we created, but there is a way in which God's presence exists uniquely in that we. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is completed as we embrace that identity as we, as God's people who love one another. And that's the church, the people in whom God's love abides, the people in whom God's love is completed. 13 says, that's how we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us a portion of his spirit. His spirit lives among his church. We know we're his because we're a part of that beloved community where his spirit lives, John says. And then verse 16 says, God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in him, in them. There is a sense in which God lives among the collective and is alive among the we. There can be no church outside of God's people. And these people who abide in God are made to actively love the one another of the community of the church. Verse 21, we get back to this last verse in this passage. It says, this is the command we have from him. Anyone who loves God should love their brother or sister too. Again, Life in the community of the church is not an extra part of knowing and being saved by God. This is the command that we have from him. He says, anyone who loves God should love their brother or sister. Remember when you read these words that the definition of love in this passage is clear. And it's rooted in the nature of a God who is love. It's not just a feeling of love or a sentiment or a posture of love. It's an active, sacrificial communal love that requires community to even exist. Okay? So that's the fourth piece. Community is the essence of the church. And then the last one is this. Community builds for God's eternal kingdom. Back to verse 7 for the last time. John says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and all who love are fathered by God and know God. All who love are sons and daughters of God. And this is not a temporary condition. This is an eternal identity. If you are fathered by God, this is not just for a moment. This is not just for a season. This is not just for your years in a human body. This is an eternal state. You are fathered by God. He goes on to say in verse 12, nobody has ever seen God, but listen to this. This is all linked to the eternal nature of God's kingdom. If we love one another, 
God abides in us and his love is completed in us. This is building toward the ultimate coming of God, the fulfillment of God's will in the earth. That's how we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us a portion of his spirit. We know we're alive in God's eternal reality and that the eternal God is alive in us, that he's put his eternal spirit in us and raised us to eternal life because we see the proof of it in the way that we live together in our love for one another. And then he says this, this is what makes love complete for us so that we have boldness, we may have boldness and confidence on the day of judgment because just as he is, so are we within this world. On the day of the culmination of all things, John says we will stand with boldness and confidence that we bore God's image in the world and our participation in the beloved community, our understanding that our salvation has changed us, our faithfulness to the love of God, to respond to the love of God by allowing him to, to convert us, to put his essential nature of love in us and to live that through us. Our participation in the community of God, in the church, gives us confidence when all things come to an end that we have joined this eternal permanent movement of God in the world in part by participating in his community, in his kingdom, okay? So that's the last piece of this. Some of, this, some of these we'll get into in more detail as we move through kind of the mechanics. Like I said, the how mechanics sounds boring. I think the coming weeks will be even more interesting because they get more into our space uh, about how we do this, about what happens and, and how we live into real community as God designed us to live. Um, before I, I finish tonight, I wanted us to hear from Jesus directly. So I'm gonna have Narisa in just a moment read to us most of John 17. Uh, I pulled a few verses out, not for any nefarious reasons, but just to give us a, a, a cleaner more efficient reading for tonight's purposes, and then we'll get back to this passage for sure in the weeks to come. But, but let me give you a few things to watch for as you listen to this passage, okay? Uh, one thing to watch for is this. You're going to hear, just as we saw the Trinity revealed in John's words last week, you're going to hear in this prayer of Jesus, you're going to hear words about the Trinity. You're going to hear him say, the glory I had with you before the world existed. You're going to see evidence of this perfect, loving community between Father, Son, and Spirit for all time in these words of Jesus. Another thing you can watch for is the way in which the gospel, the understanding of who Jesus is and people seeing and believing that is tied to the unity of all of those who belong to Jesus. Okay. Third thing is this. You're going to hear him talk about faithfulness, in unity, you're going to hear him talk about his followers who have kept your word, the Father's word, and how that unity, how that faithfulness leads to a unity among his people. Uh, and then the last thing is this. You're going to hear him refer to the life of God's coming age. Everything mentioned here is tied to building for the coming age, to building for God's kingdom in the way that God intends it to come, the way that we see God's will truly revealed in all the earth. I think this is a really powerful, it's, it, it, it is, uh, has long been, for me, uh, one of the most important and powerful passages in scripture 
for a lot of reasons, but, but maybe chief among them is this. This is Jesus praying for us. It's really what it is. That's not me spinning this. This is Jesus praying for his followers. You'll even hear him make a turn from praying for his followers who exist in that moment when he's still on the earth before he's died and he has these people following him. He's praying for them, knowing what's about to happen to him. He's praying for them, but you'll hear him make a turn to pray not only for them, but for all of those who will believe because of them. And that's you, and that's me, and that's community church. And that's his church in Bryan College Station and his church in the world in 2018. This is, there's power in everything Jesus says, but there is, I think, a special, unique kind of power in hearing him pray for us to live this kind of life. So let's listen as Jesus prays to the Father. After Jesus had said this, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Father, he said, the moment has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Do this in the same way as you did when you gave him authority over all flesh so that he could give the life of God's coming age to everyone you gave him. And by the life of God's coming age, I mean this, that they should know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah, the one you sent. I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me alongside yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. I revealed your name to the people you gave me out of the world. They belong to you. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything which you gave me comes from you. I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them. They have come to know in truth that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for the people you've given me. They belong to you. All mine are yours. All yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. I'm not in the world any longer, but they're still in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name you've given to me, so that they may be one just as we are one. Set them apart for yourselves, yourself in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And on their account, I set myself apart for you, so that they too may be set apart for you in the truth. I'm not praying simply for them. I'm praying, too, for the people who will come to believe in me because of their word. I'm praying that they may be one, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and are in me and I in you, that they, too, may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory which you have given to me, so that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. Yes, they must be completely one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and that you loved them just as you loved me. I made your, ma name, blah, 
I made your name known to them. Yes, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, we uh, hear the prayer of Jesus, and may we have um, eyes to see the life that you've made us for, articulated in his words, prayed for by Jesus for us. May we have hearts tender to your calling to live that life. May we embrace this truth that as you call us into our salvation, into faithfulness, into life in your church, toward that ultimate fulfillment of your will in the earth through your kingdom, that you've made us for that. It's not something we have to, to kick against to get there. We just have to embrace what we were created for. So make us people who are eager to receive that and who believe and understand that that is your love for us, that, that this is not some task, this is not some obstacle course through life that we're trying to get through to get along with people or to be part of the church or any of these things that feel inconvenient to us, but this is a way of coming into the life that you made us for. So give us hearts that receive your love in that way, that expression of your love, and embrace it so that, as Jesus prayed, as we become that us, as we become that people who love one another, the world will look and see and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.